Uh, Let's look at our New City Catechism question for the week. It's on the back under the sermon notes at the bottom. And the question asks, how does the Holy Spirit help us? And let's read the answer together. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. And He enables us to pray and to understand God's Word. Amen. Well, great intro into our sermon text this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. Please turn there with me. Uh, We are wrapping up, or we did wrap up, a series on the Holy Spirit last week. And um, really, I I, I started thinking about the the season that we're in as a church body. And we're really in the season of of organizing. And um, that, to many of us, does not sound very exciting. Uh, As a matter of fact, many times... The Holy Spirit seems to be lost in the midst of organization. Um, And some people think that the Holy Spirit is against organization, uh, and the church is totally for organization, so therefore the church has got to be against the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're just about order. But no. What we want to see uh, this morning, because we have so many on a weekly basis that, that kind of blow through downtown church, Um, we want to put out there a picture of the church, what we're called to, and what the whole purpose of this thing that we call church is. Uh, Too many of us are dating the church. Uh, Too many of us are using the church. Uh, Too many churches see themselves as businesses that need to somehow market themselves to consumers. And so years of this, of us using the church and the church, in a sense, using us, um, we've lost a biblical perspective on what the church is. And so this morning, I want to get, just get very simple. And, and this is a very simple uh, passage in a sense because the imagery is very clear of Christ and His body. And so let's look at it now. Pick up on it as we read in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, and he might as well say church, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves 
blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we desperately need your spirit this morning. We need you to come to convict us of how we have used your church. And Father, to convict us of leaders of how we have looked to the church to somehow do something for us that it was never meant to do. We are your body. And Lord Jesus, you are the head. And you're the only head. And so may we come in line under you this morning and may we catch a vision for what you have called us to be and help us to grow up a little bit more this morning unto you. Oh, Father, would you open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord Jesus, may we see that it's all about you and may you receive glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I talk about my grandson quite a bit. Uh, my oldest, I have two grandsons, Braden and Bennett. Uh, Braden is the firstborn of Whitney, who was up here a minute ago, and Jed. Um, and, and, and when Braden was born, there was one thing obvious about this kid. He had a large head. The kid, there's just no other way to say it, the kid had a huge head. And we knew, therefore, that that was probably the sign um, that he was going to grow into that head, you see. And by God's grace and through a lot of good nourishment, uh, the boy is growing into his head. You see, his arms are growing in proportion to that head. He has like tree trunk legs. I mean, the kid has some stout legs. His arms are filling out. His chest, his... He is growing into his head. Now, what would happen if he didn't grow into his head? He'd be a little funny looking. Well, church, Paul tells us in verse 15 that we are to grow up into Him who is the head, and that is Christ. So do we have a body that's in proportion to our head? Are we growing into our head? Or do we have this tiny little dysfunctional kind of body, this weak and not a very good representation of our head, who is Christ Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, friends, the church is God's plan A, and He has no plan B in terms of getting His will done in His his world. The church of Jesus Christ. And you say, Richard, you've got a lot to gain from us believing that. You're right. I do. But you have more to gain. (laughs) Because when we become a healthy body, all of us, all of us are encouraged and pushed forward in life. And all of us find our purpose in the sense that we are serving and loving one another. And Christ is glorified. And so this morning I want us to look at exactly what it is that we are to be about. And and what we see from this image, we learn it uh, very simply, is this, is that the church 
is not so much an organization as it is an organism, a living organism. This whole, this whole imagery of, of head and body. Uh, Paul refers to the body of Christ at least two times in these 16 verses. And the body of Christ is the phrase that, um, that is used in the New Testament more than any other phrase to, sh- to refer to the church. And so uh, Paul is talking to and addressing the church in his uh, work here in Ephesians. Um, and look at, at, at one of the primary purposes of the church. Look at verses 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he goes into this weird thing about Christ ascending and descending and all this stuff. Look at it. He says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What is he saying there? What in the world does that mean? This is what it means. It means that when Christ ascended to heaven, He did not leave this earth physically. When He ascended to heaven, He left a manifestation of His body, of His person on this earth. And it's you, and it's me, it is us. You see, if the world is going to know Christ, it's not just your personal mastering of of an evangelistic presentation and doing it just right. No, it's us living as the church in the world. We are the manifestation of Christ in the world around us, in downtown Memphis and beyond. Isn't that beautiful? Well, to be that body, we've got to grow up. How do we do it? First, Growing up demands being, demands being more than doing. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Growing up demands that we're focusing on what we're becoming as opposed to what we're doing. I saw uh, this week in some news source that a big Al-Qaeda uh, leader put out this worldwide message that you know, and especially to, to Al-Qaeda followers here in the United States, that they need to, to ramp up the terrorism, uh, that they need to target more places in the United States. And the whole purpose behind terrorism from the Al-Qaeda's perspective is that we as a country will have to spend more and more money and ultimately it will break us financially. Because we will spend more and more money trying to defend ourselves from these isolated incidences of terrorism. And that's kind of their goal. And if you look at that, you understand that Al-Qaeda, the very basis of it, um, is a radical uh, Islamic extremism. But it's really the basis for every religion. You see, the basis of every religion is this. God accepts me by what I do. And God rejects me by what I don't do, and vice versa. But you see, Christianity is radically different from that. And and the church needs to hear this. Christianity is not ultimately about doing, but it's ultimately about believing in what Christ has already done. Do you understand that religion says, okay, God is waiting. Here are the scales. He's kind of measuring. Did you do enough? I mean, that is why men were willing to hijack a plane and fly them into the world trade, the Twin Towers, 
and kill thousands of people because they were convinced that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And do you understand that we are no different in the sense that we think God is waiting passively for us to do something to so impress them that He then says, okay, well now, well done, good and faithful servant. No, He looked at Jesus who came and lived under the law in our place and obeyed it perfectly and then went to the cross and the great exchange occurred. He became our sin, we became His righteousness. And now through simply believing, which is actually a work of God in our lives too, we can't even take credit for that, we are saved by grace through faith alone and what Christ has done. And Christ on the cross said, it is finished. Not it's, yeah, I got it started. I kind of got it moving. Now y'all got to take the ball. He said, no, I've crossed the goal line. It's finished. So, so what are we to do then? If that's Christianity, and it's not religion, and God is not passively waiting for us to do something, what is all this about? Well, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It's about what God is doing in us. Look at this calling. Look at verse 2. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice he says, be twice. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Really? Is that it? Are you telling me that that's our high calling? That that here's the calling of God, as a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Now go save a bunch of people, plant a bunch of churches, show the world how... Be gentle in all humility, be patient, and bear with one another. Do you understand that our love for each other and our love for the world is the weapon to win the world and to bring glory to Christ. And we say, give us something else to do because I don't want to love my neighbor. And that's what we do in the church. That's how we can have over 3,000 churches and be the poorest city in the country because we've said, okay, no, it's theological accuracy. We're going to have the purest theology and all these conferences on theology. Or, or we're going to do this. We've got the best worship. Or, you know, we, we speak in tongues. Or we, and, and this is the only kind of worship. Or no, this is our view of baptism. And, and, and this is how we know that we're faithful if we're baptized in this way. And all these different things. When Jesus said, no, the world is going to know that you're mine through what? When you love each other. And when you love them. If you want to show Jesus to somebody, love them. Bear patiently with them. It's a fulfillment of the law of God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second is like unto it and completely uh, uh, impossible to be separated from the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that, God? When you see somebody in need, you stop and you help them. Oh, well, can't we just go to church? (laughs) 
Can't we just do our devotions? Can't we just go through a discipleship course? Can't we just take a week-long mission trip? No, you go love the world. You go get knee-deep in the lives of those around you, and you forget about yourself, and you have a mind full of them. That is the calling of the church in love. Why? Because God is love. Well, how do we become loving people? There's only one way. Long-term relationship with King Jesus. Do you want to know how to become like Jesus? Bring your life under Him and live in relationship with Him. I was talking to somebody recently this week uh, who has a foster child that's two years old. And when they took possession of this foster child, they said that two-year-old child was cussing like a sailor. The two-year-old child was talking like a gangbanger. And, And it wasn't just language. This kid knew how to put the right cuss words in the right context. Now, that's pretty impressive for a two-year-old, all right? But guess what has happened over the last six weeks? There's a calmness that has come over that child's life. That child's not cussing anymore. That, That child is sleeping and resting. What happened? They came under a new headship. They came under a new rule. They said, no, 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 we don't talk like that in this house. I mean, I, I did that, Rachel did that, we did that as parents all the time. Rachel was so good. I mean, if you want to talk about parenthood, I think this is what she was so good and, 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 and with it because we had girls and I think her influence on them was uh, and continues to be so significant. But I heard her many times, no, 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 that's not how we act in this family. And what's it teaching them? Oh, there's a law outside of myself. And I can't just think about me. Dog, you better not take that baby doll from her. Okay, give that baby doll back. All right, you didn't. No, Mama, I'm not going to do it. Spanking, now give that baby doll back. Now you hug your sister. Now you kid, Now you forgive her. Do you see what's going on there? It's saying this is how we live in community. It's not about you. It's about us. There you have it. Paul tells the church that we have one head. I I, I love this. This really caught my attention this week. Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, here's the difference. You see, in the world, you have a bunch of families. Like, Rachel and I have a family, all right? Um, You know, but in our family, our children obey us because we're, you know, we're the head, all right? They're under our leadership. Well, you have children in another family. I can't come in and and, and say, that is not how we act in this house, you know, if it's children that are not mine. And so how does the church function if we have all these churches... And we have all, look at just the diversity in this room in terms of race and class and personality type and, and, and temperament and, and, and life history and experience and, and class. and I mean, all the differences just in this room. How in the world? 
Well, this is how. This is how we become one. We remember that we have one Lord and one hope and one faith and, and, and one God. And all of us are living under the King, Jesus. And we are listening to His Word and we're being formed by His Word and we're living by His principles. And when we get out of line, we listen to Him and we come back toward the line of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We say, yes, I am a sinner. I'm sorry, I forgot for a minute. I got convinced that you were a bigger sinner than I am. It's my fault. Isn't that easy to do? But not only that, but thank you, Jesus, that you you never give up on me. You just keep loving on me. That's how we become one. And that's how the world knows. You see, that's why the church is so, so vitally important. Because if somebody out at the Cooper Young Festival meets somebody from Fellowship Memphis or from Christ City Church or from downtown church, they ought to get the same experience. They ought to feel the same vibe. They ought, to, they ought to get this sense of love and patience and humility and joy. And they ought to get the same gospel that, hey, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's only one. The only way to save of salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ. And what that looks like is this. You see, that's why the church is so important. Because we have one head, and boy, you go to churches, and it seems like we've got all kinds of heads. And so, are we going to do our part at downtown church? And then secondly, growing up demands serving and being served. I love this. I was way behind yesterday morning on my sermon, man. It's been a, it's been a tough couple of weeks. A lot of work. Um, it's just that kind of season and uh, just, just a tough couple of weeks. And I don't think I've ever been this behind on a sermon than I was yesterday morning. And I did a wedding um, rehearsal Friday night, and I told uh, my good friend Mitchell Moore. Um, he, he said, man, how's your, you know, what are you preaching on? How's it going? I said, man, I know what passage I'm preaching on, but I'm not real sure what I'm preaching on Sunday. This is Friday night. And, uh, and, and Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I get this text at 7 a.m., And and, and let me just read it to you. He said, praying for you this morning, brother, that the fire of the Lord's Spirit would refresh your soul and the power of His work for you would nourish you as you prep for tomorrow. I want you to know, I'd already been awake, but I'd been lying in bed thinking about the Cooper Young Festival. I, I was thinking about what a glorious day of weather the best day of weather we've had in Memphis in decades. Okay, that may be a little exaggeration, but that's how I had it built up in my mind. College football Saturday, bike ride. Man, I, I was listing everything on the planet that I would rather be doing except writing a sermon. And then I got that text. And his encouragement encouraged me to get out of bed And to say, yes, Lord Jesus, let's get to work. Do you see how that works? Is that none of us are islands. We all have to be served in order to serve. Love is having a mind full of someone else. 
Now, here's our flesh, and we looked at this last week, that we have two men. We've got the new man that Jesus is building, and we've got the old man who's fighting against the new man that Jesus is building. And, and, and Paul shows us in Galatians 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right before it, he gives us the fruit of the flesh. Well, think about this for a minute. The opposite of humility, gentleness, and patience is impatience, harshness, and pride. In other words, the, the, the essence of ungodliness is self. And so what was keeping me away from wanting to, to work on a sermon and prepare a message and listen to God and get deep in His Word yesterday, the thing standing in my way was me and all the options that I could choose to make my day more enjoyable to me. Did you hear it? I, my, me. What the gospel does when it comes deep into our lives is it changes I, my, me to you, your, y'all. Godliness is becoming more southern, right? That may be a little stretch. Uh, See, it comes into how can I make your day better? The very essence of who God is. God so loved the world that what did He do? He gave. He had a mind full of you and me. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. I mean... God had a mind full of you, and that's why you have the hope and the life that you do. That's why you can go out into the world and live your life, and even if you die, you have hope because you just wake up in the presence of God. Why? Because He had a mind full of you. And did you deserve it? No. As a matter of fact, you didn't deserve it. You were His enemy. But He won you by this this full court press of love. And then He redeemed you and He's not finished. He keeps loving you even when you push Him away constantly. He gave. That's what God has called us to do. He's called us to give and give and give. How many times am I to forgive my brothers? Seven? Oh, I tell you 70 times seven. How in the world can I do that? You can't, but you can in me. The only way you can forgive, the only way you can be one, the only way you can have intimacy in the body of Christ is if you look at Jesus and realize He's forgiven you so many more times than He's asking you to forgive that one person or those people in your church. You see, that power never runs out because He keeps on forgiving you. Well, this truth is essential to being a Christian, but it's also essential to the health of the body. Now, go with me here. We can't even become other-focused by ourselves. I needed my friend's encouragement in order to encourage you this morning. You see, David Bowman, they found um, a couple weeks ago, had a 90% blockage in his carotid artery. That's the artery, I think, on the front. I'm sorry, you med students. Uh, just go with me. I think I'm right on this. It's the artery on the, artery on the front of the heart that takes blood away and, and distributes it to the rest of the body. Well, when that is uh, 90% blocked, 
guess what happens? In order for it to do its job, somebody's got to do a job on it. That's us. We're all sick. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts in a minute. And here's, here's, the, here's the temptation of spiritual gifts. Oh, yeah? I've got my gift. I'm going to use it. Well, remember, you got your gift, but you also got a sickness. you got some 90% blockage going on. And you can't just use your gift. You need somebody to use their gift on you. And it just keeps going. It's kind of a self-generating reality. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The danger of a clogged artery is that the other parts of the body will suffer and die, killing the whole body. However, that artery has to receive care in order to do its job. That's exactly what, 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 what Paul is saying. Look at verse 16. From him, the whole body, from him, here's this picture, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, and listen to this, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. How does the body of Christ grow? It grows as each part draws nourishment from Jesus. Is that not amazing? The only way that you're going to grow is if you bring yourself under the the teaching of Jesus, in relationship with Jesus. The only way that you're going to be good to anybody else every morning you wake up is if you get hit your knees saying, Jesus, help me, because if you don't, I'm going to kill some people today. I'm going to live for myself. Life is all going to be about me. It's not going to be about anybody else. Jesus, you've got to come down and almost save me again. Now, I'm a Presbyterian, and I know you can't be saved twice. <laughs> But I tell you what, if Jesus doesn't save me again and again and again every day, people die around me. If He doesn't renew my faith, if it's not fresh, I mean, that's what my good friend, we, we like to fish together, and he says, well, you know, the gospel's like fish. It's got to be caught fresh every day, or else it starts stinking. That's me. If I just depend on what happened yesterday or what happened two hours ago, I stink. So I need the gospel every second of every day. I need the newness and the freshness of the gospel to come deep into my life, and so do you. So that we can be built up, and so we can build each other up in love. You see, yesterday morning, my friend was an artery pumping God's love and grace my way. This morning I got up, and I was thinking through that, and that's all I was going to say about this point, but I started thinking through the day yesterday. And you know, while I was working on my sermon, Rachel said, hey, you've got to read this. And she gave me an article. Uh, it, it was kind of how to make... It's from this minimalist blog, and it's, it's really good. But, uh, but basically, the, the, you know, it started talking about workaholism. Now, I, don't, I think maybe that was a, a subtle uh, suggestion uh, as I'm you know, working away on a Saturday. Um, but it, wasn't, it was given in love, and it was an incredible article. So much so, it had such an impact on me uh, that I thought, man, I know I've got to give this article away. You know, I've got to let other people see it. And so much so, it kind of brought a sense of, now wait a minute, all this frantic work that I'm doing right now is not evidencing the Holy Spirit. It's not showing trust in Him and faith in God. And so, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of be reminded of this. What if I, like, take the next two hours and I, I, I work on this, but then we take some time off, and, and that's what we did. 
And we rode our bikes uh, down to the Cooper Young Festival and walked around. We, we bumped into the Biggers and uh, the Gravettis and um, Lord Neal. And we were encouraged by that conversation of just, you know, seeing them. And we bumped into another family that, uh, that's been visiting that said, hey, we're going to be there tomorrow. And they have two um, high school students. And they said, now that youth ministry starts tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah, man, I'm encouraged by the body of Christ, encouraging each other right there that, you know, they were, they were going to be part of the, of, of the youth ministry. I, get a, I remember, oh, yeah, Daniel Harris is, is teaching today at CCDA in New Orleans. I remembered he was telling his story to about 2,000 people yesterday. And, and Daniel's here, by the way. I uh, flew back last night. And so I, I texted Daniel. I said, man, I'm praying for you. Can't wait to hear how it goes. And a couple hours later, I get this text back, and it says, standing ovation. And my heart just leapt with joy. And then I told Rachel, I said, guess what? Daniel got a standing O. And she was excited. And then I got an email about, uh, from youth leaders who were excited about the kickoff today. And, and one of the girls was, was quoting a Bible passage and, and talking about how she'd been praying and how they'd been calling the students and the parents and the body of Christ at work. I was walking this morning, going over this sermon by the river, and here comes somebody, and they had a Colorado State shirt on. And I said, hey, are you people from Fort Collins, Colorado? And the guy like, yeah. I said, well, guess what? I just moved from Fort Collins here. He said, you're kidding me. I said, no. We started a conversation. At the end of it, they said, you know what? We've been looking for a church. They may be here. I don't know. Isn't that amazing? Tell them about the church. I mean, body of Christ. And you say, Richard, that doesn't sound very... I mean, that's the church at work in the city? Yes. I mean, who knows what Laura Neal was thinking as she was walking around, and I'm not picking on Laura Neal, but, you know, who knows or how does Laura Neal know what I was thinking as I was walking around? You know, I did a wedding last night. I hope I encouraged the couple getting married. They certainly encouraged me. That's the body of Christ as we live together. Do you know what? You need the church. You have to have community. You need that. In fact, you can't live without it. The way the body of Christ grows is by each part serving the whole. Jesus came to serve, to give, to die, that we might live to love that we might love. Listen to what Paul writes. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ gave us gifts that we might serve each other. You know, the strength of Christ's church is not in the superstars. It's in the many making one. we got to hear that, church. You are the church. You need to leave here today... And, and, and not think that Chris is the church or Richard's the church or, or, or the, the two elders that are being prepared to the church, but you are the church. Go be the church. Be the church here. Be the church outside.
How? Just love somebody patiently, with gentleness and all humility. And you will bring them in contact with Jesus. You see, small things multiplied by many is what makes the most impact. Right now, part of the country that I love is being ravished by flooding. Colorado has just been nailed uh, with rain. And you think about that. Water, a water particle is just undetectable to the human eye. You put a lot of water particles together and guess what happens? You've got a flood. And you see, that's God's design for His church. Here are the Jesus particles. <laughs> you put us together... And we will push things over. You leave us isolated as one and we're just not that effective. You see, our power is when we come together. And we begin to love on this city. We begin to love on our neighbors. And we begin to love on each other. God's design for His body, His church, is to have influence as a whole like a flood of humility, gentleness, and patience. One last illustration on this point. I think of Janice and Celia in the nursery. They're loving on our infants. I mean, those infants are screaming, untamed human beings. You know, pooping, just, they they have no self-control. They are just absolute natives, you know. And you go in that nursery, and Miss Janice, rocking in that chair, Baby, that baby, ah! Man, my blood pressure is going like through the roof. But she is humble. Poop on yourself, I'll clean you up. You hungry, I'll feed you. You crying, that's okay. I've had bad, bad days too, baby. You put a bunch of Janices out in the world. And we will change this city. It doesn't take a program. It doesn't take a strategy necessarily. It takes the church being the church. And then lastly, growing up demands equipping. The rivers running in Colorado and flooding have a source. You see, that the force of that water has a source. And it's upstream. And you see, this is the plan. I said at the beginning of, of, the, um, of the sermon that the church is not so much an organization as it is an organism. Absolutely. But the organism has order to it, and God has ordained that order, and it's called leadership. But here's the role of a leader, not to squelch the work of the Holy Spirit. But we see it right here. It, 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 why has God given some uh, to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? Why? To prepare God's people... For works of service. The church is not there to serve you. But the church is here to help you serve each other. And the world. The work of leaders is to equip others to use their gifts of service. Everybody in here, the Bible tells us, is gifted in some way to serve somebody. But here's the beautiful part. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I need one of those tests. Well, the people that were getting this had no spiritual gift test. They didn't have Myers-Briggs. 
They didn't have any of this stuff either. Paul is just telling them, look, you're gifted. But he didn't just tell them they're gifted. He told them they were filled by the Spirit of Christ who is seeking to transform them to be loving, patient, kind, joyful, humble people. Do you want to know that to work in our nursery, you don't have to have the gift of changing diapers? You don't have to have the gift of working in the nursery. That's not a spiritual gift. That is a calling from God to love those weaker than you. Do you see that? You don't have to be gifted in working with people that live on the street. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a calling that we all have. You don't have to be gifted in, in, or, 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 you know, um, trained through some, um, some highly organized training program to, uh, to reach your neighbor. You've got the gift in the, in the Holy Spirit. Go love them. But I don't do it very well. Right. That's why you're the perfect candidate. Because you need God if you know you're not the right candidate. Do you know how many times I tell God you've got the wrong guy called to the ministry? You've got the wrong guy preaching this morning, God. And he says, no, I've got the right guy because you know you need me. Because you're scared to death still after all these years. You're crying out to me saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look like a fool and I'm going to make you look like a fool. And I don't want to do that. You see, that's what ministry is. It's not ministering out of confidence, but God uses the weak to shame the strong. God uses uh, the foolish to shame the wise. Are you weak and foolish? You're the perfect candidate for ministry. Because He's not. And greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. So live like it, church. You see, that's what leaders are calling us to. That's why we need leaders, to help us struggle through how we can serve somebody else. That is the only reason that we are, we are ordaining elders of this church. It's not to, to, you know, to kind of um, build people's egos up, you know, and to have this body of elders that reigns from on high. No, the leaders of the church must be the ones who are willing to do the least uh, you know, the, the less glamorous jobs of the church. Jesus is our leader, and what did He do? He came and He died in utter humiliation, naked on a cross, being spit at and beat, humiliated. Dear friends, those are the kind of leaders we need in this church who are willing to get down and to, and to serve and to tell others, come along with us. And how do we do that? It's by guarding the teaching of the church. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Do you know why the elders are to protect what is preached and taught in the church? Because... So much of the time, what is preached and taught in the church becomes the end and not the means. Did you notice that we need elders to help us serve? And how do we serve? By equipping us with gospel theology that says, 
here's who God is, here's who you are, this is what God has done for you, now go serve somebody. It's not, let's all kind of build a wall around the church and define what real, you know, right theology is, and then we have, arri- we have arrived when we've decided and agreed upon what right theology is. No. Right theology empowers us to serve somebody and die for somebody. And if it doesn't, then it's not right theology. And so we need leaders to lead us unto service. Well, how do we do that? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We've got to be filled up with Christ. Last night, and we'll end with this, I looked in the faces of, of, of a man and a woman who were radically in love with each other. They were saying, I die to myself and I give myself to you for the rest of my life. I heard stories the night before at the rehearsal dinner of people saying, man, they're just a different person now. And why are they a different person? Because this other person came in their lives and they are enthralled with each other. Do you want to know how you're going to be different to the world? It says, when you become enthralled with Jesus to the point that you have attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, there's no way that, that the groom Kevin or could get enough, could be full enough of his bride, Lindsay. There's no way that Lindsay could be full enough of her, 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 her groom, Kevin. They, they wanted to be full of each other. They wanted to know each other in, in the most intimate possible ways. They wanted to know everything about each other. And dear friends, that's how are we to be with Jesus because He doesn't want to be dated. He wants to be married to you. And in a marriage, you must become enthralled with each other and then sent out to share that love with others. Are you enthralled with Jesus this morning? If you're not, you're going to be no good in the church. You want to become enthralled? Get around other people that are enthralled and say, I need help. Cry out to God and say, I need help. Come in the church and say, I need help. Because I need help a lot of times too. But thank God I have you. Thank God you have me. And thank God we're in this together. And thank God that He is God, our head and our King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for Your church. Thank You for what You're doing at Downtown Church. And help us to be Your body. Lord God, I pray this week that we would love in ways we've never loved before, that we would be filled with the measure of Christ in ways we've never been filled before. Uh, Would you do great things in this body that the world might know that you are King and Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.